It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question at 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. You can also email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. But as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. That's Micah 7-7, and Bert and I were in Micah yesterday. But today is a special part of our week because we call this Fire Away Friday. It's all questions, all hour today. So if you have a Bible question, uh, call in, 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. And you know, Bert, earlier today I was talking with some Christian brothers, and they had the brand-new book, 100 Bible Questions and Answers. And listen, we give God the glory, but I have to say they were pretty complimentary of it. Uh, and that, that means a lot, doesn't it? I was uh, talking to someone uh, last night and the night before, and they had gotten the book, and they were excited about it. Uh, I know someone that's going to do what you said one of your pastor friends was going to do. They're going to take it on Wednesday nights. And uh, this is in the youth area, and they're going to go through many of those questions and ask those questions on Wednesday night and answer them. So we're excited about it being used, and uh, we pray that it will be for the glory of God and the advancement of the Lord Jesus Christ into people's hearts, Alex. Well, amen, amen. And folks, again, it's Fireway Friday, and uh, you know, we, we need to thank you. Bert and I owe all of you a debt of gratitude, our listeners, because it's your questions that made up the content for this book, and um, who knows, Bert, we might get to do another book, maybe give it a, another year and a half or two, and maybe it would be a hundred more questions from Exploring the Word, but again, the number is 888-589-8840. Bert, i got to share one more verse from Micah. We've been doing a series called Prophets, Kings, and Kingdoms. We've been going through the minor prophets, and uh, I was on Today's Issues yesterday, and and Tim Wildman was asking, he knew the answer, but he was, you know, for the benefit of the listeners, we were talking about the major prophets and the minor prophets. And when we say minor, it doesn't mean less significant. It just means that the, the length of their books was a little shorter. But Micah, Micah 4.4, 4, it says, The day is coming that every man will sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Uh, don't you love that imagery of one day in heaven in what uh, some writers call the peaceable kingdom? When Christ returns, and there's going to be a day when righteousness covers this earth. Now, we're not there yet because we're still in this fallen world. But we serve this God, the, the prophet Micah said, the God who pardons sin and forgives transgression and gives his remnant their inheritance. Christ is coming, and we will dwell in peace on this earth with the Prince of Peace one day, won't we? Amen. What a day that will be. And uh, we're looking forward to it. We want you to be ready for that day. In order to be ready for that day, trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Don't put it off. Ask him in your life. uh, Man, you're a sinner. You know it. Admit it. Confess it and say, God, I offer nothing to you. I have nothing to bring to you. I'm totally dependent upon you for my salvation. Forgive me of my sin as I turn away and turn to you. 
and ask him to be Lord of your life. There's nothing like it in all the world to know Jesus is Savior. So that's our prayer on exploring the Word. So you'll be ready for that day when we have uh, that peaceable place called heaven. And so, Alex, we've got people called in. They've responded to that phone number. (laughs) So are you ready to take the calls that we'll get today? What's our first call on Fireway Friday? Okay, Devin, real quickly, give us the first caller there. My computer, somebody changed it, and here we go. Rachel, welcome. Hi. Um, I have a question about, um, I have a friend who posted love is love um, on a post and then put, and those of you who say that Jesus wouldn't agree with this, he'd be the first one at every pride parade giving away hugs. And um, I just kind of was wondering if there's any scripture that I could say, you know, I don't necessarily believe that that's, you know, what would be going on. Also, I just um, was reading about Sodom and Gomorrah and how, you know, he sent angels and, you know, the whole city was just destroyed with fire. Um, And so I just, I don't know that that's what I would believe, that Jesus would be the first one handing out those hugs. And so I'm just wondering, you know, where I could look for some scripture to maybe show my friend that this isn't, I don't think, what the Bible says, love is love. Oh, hey, Rachel, thank you for this good call. And uh, we appreciate that so much. Jesus was a friend to sinners. That means the homosexual. That means the adulterer. That means the liar. He was a friend, the friend that would deliver, the friend that would not Uh, help them and encourage them in a sinful lifestyle. Alex, the first place it comes to me. Now, first, you look at the Old Testament and just look at Leviticus chapter 20, uh, 19 and 20. If you want to see what the Old Testament says about it, then if you want to look at it, look at Romans chapter 1 and what Jesus said, male and female, not male and male and female and female concerning uh, the sexual relationship. But let me just share this. Jesus, the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, and he said, you who are without sin cast the first stone, they walked away. But at the end, Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and what? Sin no more. Uh, I don't believe he'd be in the front of the parade. Would he be warning them uh, to come unto him for deliverance and peace? Yes, he would. But, uh, Alex, nowhere can I believe Christ would be in the front of that parade. Mm. Well, that's true. And and let me just say this. Uh, in Matthew 5.18, and uh, the caller asked for some scriptures, and, and I want to give a few scriptures. And, you know, if this is too much to write down too quickly, then you can go to AFR and you can hear this show again. But, Bert, since it is Fireway Friday and we've got the whole hour um, let me let me drill down just a little bit. Okay, in Matthew five eighteen, the Lord said this: "Till heaven and earth passes away, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law till all be fulfilled." Now, clearly, Jesus was affirming the entirety of what we would call the Old Testament. Okay. Now, in Matthew uh, 5, 17, I'm going to go back a verse. He said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish but to fulfill. Okay? So the law and the prophets. I mean, this is Genesis through Malachi. This is the entirety of the Old Testament. 
And Jesus says, I've not come to abolish, I've come to fulfill. Matthew 5.18, he says, look, not one jot or tittle. Now those are the what are called the diacritical marks, and uh, at, at least in part, punctuation. So what he was saying was every word, every syllable, every every you know uh, bit of the Old Testament is in force. Now the reason I say that, Bert, is because progressives will frequently say Jesus didn't say one word about homosexuality. Well, in the recorded four Gospels, he he didn't. But he did say, in the beginning, God made them male and female. That's Genesis 1.27. So he affirmed our binary view of gender, male and female. He also affirmed marriage. He says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So Jesus clearly affirmed heterosexual monogamy a man and a woman for a lifetime. And he clearly affirmed the entirety of the Old Testament. So um, Jesus didn't address every single point of the Old Testament, but he affirmed the Old Testament in its entirety. But here are the the Bible verses. Genesis 19 uh, condemns homosexuality. Leviticus 18.22 condemns all same-sex behavior. Leviticus 20.13 condemns all same-sex sexual behavior. Now, Romans 1.26-27 condemns all homosexuality as unnatural. 1 Corinthians 6.9-10 says that unrepentant homosexuals will not go to heaven. Now, neither will unrepentant promiscuous heterosexuals or or liars. You've got to repent of sin. But, Bert, here's the thing. You can't turn from sin if you don't think what you're doing is sinful and wrong. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 9 through 10, condemns same-sex behavior. And Jude 1 verse 7 uh, indicates that sexually active homosexuals don't go to heaven. Now, what am I saying here? Christ affirmed the old, and he made provision for the new, because he said to the disciples in John 14, 27, he said, the Holy Spirit will remind you of all things whatsoever I have told you. So, Bert, I've even sat under less than conservative professors who said Jesus affirmed the Old Testament, and he made provision for the new. The last thing I'm going to say is, based on this, Based on the Lord's unequivocal affirmation of Scripture, would he love and forgive any homosexual who said, Lord, I I have sinned, please forgive me? Of course he would. Whoever turns to Jesus can be saved. But would he go to the gay pride parade, the gay weddings, as a way of affirmation? Absolutely not. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. Rachel, we hope that helps. Again, uh, those scriptures are very, very powerful. The affirmation of the Old Testament and Leviticus 18 through 20, all three of those chapters, and you'll see a lot there. And so we appreciate your call, and thank you. Let's go to Texas and talk to Ashley. Ashley, welcome. Hi. Yes. Yes, you're on. Hi, so right now I'm reading an epic poem in college called Paradise Lost, 
and it has me contemplating this question I'm about to ask you, and that is, would mankind as we know it with the ability, I, I see mankind as having the ability of self-awareness, that, that's what makes us different from animals and freedom of choice and personal responsibility. Would mankind as we know it have existed if Eve would have never eaten fruit from the tree of knowledge? And I'm going to hang up and listen to your answer. Okay. What if wow. Eve had not have eaten that fruit? Well, listen, I have uh, contemplated that. Man was made, Ashley, to live a lifetime, which is eternity, in the garden if sin had not come. But sin did come. So we're talking about a hypothetical she did eat. Would man continue to exist uh, in a, a, a perfected garden? I, I don't see why not if man had not sinned because that's what it was. But guess what, Ashley? We have the opportunity after forgiveness to be in such a place. It's called heaven. Go ahead, Alex. Got about a minute. Well, I'm glad you're reading John Milton. It's amazing. Next year, Paradise Lost will be 355 years old next year. And what's amazing, ten, the, when they say it's an epic poem, epic is the operative word, 10,000 lines long. That's a big poem, isn't it? And you know, the funny thing, the last 20 years of Milton's life, he was blind, and he dictated much of Paradise Lost. It's amazing. But you know what? We were fully human even before the fall, but we were separated from God in the fall, and that's why his sin is Son Jesus, that we could be restored to him, paradise regained. Isn't that wonderful? That is. Hey, we're going to be back with more questions right after this break. Thank you for listening. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Rachana Desai-Martin, Assistant Secretary for Administration and Management at the Department of Labor. Her office provides leadership and support for areas including information technology, human resources management, emergency management, and security. Philippians 2.4 reminds us of the importance of helping others. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Rachana Desai Martin in her role at the Department of Labor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays that we'll be rooted and grounded in love. How do we get that way? Dr. Tony Evans says part of it depends on whether we behave like a bag or a balloon. He'll explain as we spend two minutes with Tony. If you only exist for you, if you only pray for you, if you only want God's power for you, you're not rooted and grounded in love, so you're not hanging out where God hangs out. When you go to God for something for you, tell him if he does it for you, how it will benefit somebody other than you. That's why God wants every believer to be part of a spiritual family. He wants you to be part of a spiritual family because he wants you to give an environment to express his love. And if you're building spiritual intimacy and expressing his love, you're expanding spiritual capacity. It's like blowing up a balloon. 
The balloon is very flat, but it's been built to expand. It's been built to take on more air and more air and more air because you're expanding capacity. God is only going to give you as much of himself as he knows you can handle. Your spiritual intimacy sets the stage and your loving expands the balloon because he knows it's not only about you. So whenever you bring being a blessing into the equation, you are now being rooted and grounded in love and not just rooted and grounded in you, which means you've expanded the balloon, which means you've allowed God to do more. You have more capacity for a blessing than you realize. Find out more with the help of Dr. Evans' message series, Igniting Kingdom Prayer, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Fire Away Friday. It's, uh, Alex and I, we talk about what our favorite days of the week is, whichever one we're broadcasting. That's the way it is. <laughs> That's so, true. Yeah, so Friday, we, we do love Friday a little extra. We get to talk to more people, which blesses us. So we're going to go, man, to the phone lines and get to as many as we can. So we go to Texas and talk to Paul. Paul, welcome. Thank you very much. It's good to have you on today. You have a question? Yes, sir, I do. Sir, you know when a person accepts Christ as their Savior and and, and uh, gets saved, uh, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within his body, the temple, you know, of the Holy Spirit. Then my question is this. A demon can't live in that body, so therefore there's, for a Christian, there's no such thing as exorcism or whatever they call it. Can you mention that and let me know? I don't think a demon can live where the temple of God is. Amen. He he may, th- and I'm going to try to be uh, answer, but answer with a little, you know, edge on here. He may visit, but he does not live. Uh, when Jesus is on the throne of your life and he comes in, he occupies that. And others said, Alex, you know, demons can influence us. Uh, but they do not inhabit us, you know? Uh, well, how would you answer, Paul? Wow, great, great question. You know, I, I love the book of Ephesians. In fact, I was sharing a little bit earlier today Bert, with uh, some brothers. We were talking about Ephesians, and, you know, it talks about where Jesus, um, you know, when he rose from the dead, he gave gifts unto men. And when we speak of spiritual gifts, I mean, the most primary spiritual gift is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, in Ephesians 4, uh, 30, it says, do not grieve or make sad. Don't obstruct or oppose the Holy Spirit of God who seals us to the day of redemption. But let me go back just a little bit. It does say in verse 27 of Ephesians 4, do not give the devil a foothold or even like, you know, a toehold in your life. So, Bert, I'm with you. I don't think a, a born-again Christian that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, I don't think a born-again Christian can be, quote, possessed by the devil. But the Ephesians 4 says, you know, uh, be angry but do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anyone who has been stealing, steal no longer, 
work, do something useful with your hands, help those in need, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So Ephesians 4 has this list of sins that we are to turn from. Now here's my point. The born-again believer is indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit. But the question is, are you letting the Holy Spirit control you, or are you letting the devil maybe have a foothold or a little even portion of your life? I think that even a born-again Christian, if they're not careful, can let Satan have an influence in their life, Bert. Yes, and the Bible makes it plain. It said, we're not ignorant of his devices. Why would uh, the writer say that if they did not have some kind of influence? And uh, they're limited. Just know this, Satan and his demons are a limited foe. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Christ, and, and we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit, we're not to quench the Holy Spirit, we're to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We do battle. we got a three-pronged enemy, uh, Satan himself, the world, the wor- and that would mean the world system, not the, the world, physical world. And the then, I hate to say it, our own nature, our own fallenness, but Christ is redeeming us. So, Paul... Uh, we don't need to walk around in fear, but we need to walk around in caution and uh, understand that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that is for lost people. He will. But he will nip at our heels. I tell you, he wants to trip us up. Try not to let that happen by walking in Christ. Thank you so much, Paul, for that great question. Bert. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Did you ever see that book, The Man in the Mirror by Patrick Morley? I sure did. Saw it, did, read it, yes. You, you might have brought him to a church to speak or something, uh, but you know what? The The one that I have the most problem with is <laughs> the proverbial, The Man in the Mirror. The Man in the Mirror. Hey, listen, I've got up at my church where I was pastor, and I said, I want to reveal to you the member I have the most trouble with of anybody in this church. It's me. And uh, so that's who we are. Thank you so much. Let's go to, well, we're going to stay in Texas and talk to Chad. Chad, welcome. Hello. Um, my question, first, I guess I got two little questions. First one is about Romans 7, uh, about middle of the chapter or whatnot, where he speaks about the things I do not want to do, I do, and so on. And then... Um, on top of that, what y'all were just speaking to the last gentleman about where Satan has a foothold. Um, <laughs> since I've been 12, I've struggled with sin. I've gone to Christ under baptism twice, and I can't get rid of this. I, okay, Bill, we gonna, we're praying for you, man. I, I just want to tell you. Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The battle is on as long as we live. We, I hate to say this, but we have two natures. The old nature still lives. It needs to be crucified. The old nature in you, Chad, in me, in Alex, uh, in Devin, it must be crucified in order to to put it, and it rises up. It it will resurrect itself. And so you're going to have this battle for the rest of your life. 
And uh, that's what Paul was saying. He says, those things I want to do, I find myself not doing. And right the opposite. Alex, uh, the battle continues, doesn't it? Well, yes, uh, the battle does continue. And you know what? Um, There was a wonderful um, booklet or tract, you might say, by Campus Crusade years ago. And when we, we did our big event at Yale University some years ago, we took a lot of great speakers, and Campus Crusade gave us a lot of tracks and booklets. And Bert, have you ever seen Bill Bright? He was one of my professors in college. Oh, my goodness. He wrote this booklet called, Have You Discovered the Spirit-Filled Life? Yes, I, and I do know that one as well. There, there was a little diagram of a chair, and there was the spirit-controlled life, and, and in that chair, which represents your life, was the cross. But in the other, there was a diagram called the natural man, an S for self was on the throne. And so in the natural man, you know, 1 Corinthians 2 says that the the natural man without the Spirit does not know the things of God, their foolishness to him, he cannot discern them. And when we're self-directed, Jesus is not in the driver's seat, but our flesh is. But then there's the spiritual person. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, and we have the mind of Christ. Now, Romans 7, where Paul talks about it, I think it's, it's um, the, the nature that we feed is the nature that's going to have the dominance. That's why, you know, James 4, 7, James 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So all I can say, brother, let me just say this. If, if you're feeling very defeated by sin... And I think we've all, we know what our besetting sins are. But here's the thing. God loves you very, very much. And God is not mad at you. And even though you might feel like you've, you've stumbled for the hundredth time, Jesus is not done with you. God is not wanting to throw you out with the trash. God loves you. But I, I will say this, and this is for all of us. Feed the Spirit. When you're feeling tempted Call out to Jesus. Feed on his word. Be in church. Get in a men's group. Have accountability. Because um, it's just like exercise or practicing a musical instrument or anything else. What you invest in is what's going to grow stronger. And, and you've got to establish some new ways of thinking, some new ways of acting. And invest all you've got in your walk with Christ and be a part of the body. Don't try to walk the journey of, of the, the Spirit-filled life alone. That's why we have the body of Christ for encouragement. Don't you think, Bert? Amen. Chad, if I were sitting across the table from you and we were talking, what I'm saying is, uh, is what I would tell you. I would say in Romans 8, 37, it says, In all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. God has given us the victory. We must walk in it. And as Alex said, the way to walk in that is to uh, feed yourself on the Word of God daily. Make yourself accountable. Jesus never sent him out as a lone wolf. He sent him out as two by two. That accountability, you need an accountability partner. If you could visualize this, Chad, and I'm saying this for everybody who's listening, man, women, boys and girls, surround yourself Pretend that you're in the middle and you've got four people. One's in front of you 
He's an individual that you admire, you look up to. She may be, if you're a woman, someone that you're following and, and they hold you accountable. You got two men on the side or two women on the side, two young people on the side, and they're looking at you. You're walking this race with them. They're, they're your partners, but you got someone behind you that's watching you. Just like you're watching the person in front of you, they're watching you. And you want to walk that rope, not not in a legalistic way, but in a freeing way, and ask God to free me from this habitual sin. How do you do it? By you confessing it, stay away from it, don't walk around it, avoid it, go, do not go through it, uh, just just avoid it. And so, and one more thing, I'd tell you: memorize Philippians four eight. Think on these things those things that are good, those things that are pure, the whole list is there. And if you get right down to it, it's dwell upon Jesus Christ and who he is. Chad, I know Alex and I, we've taken a lot of time with the first call of Rachel and now you, but these are things that a lot of people are struggling with. And so, Chad, thank you for calling in and letting us help. We're, I'm going to pray for you real quick. Father, in the mm. name of the Lord Jesus I pray for Chad, but also those others who identify with Chad's question, his his uh, difficulty, the battle he's in. I pray for victory, God. I pray that we would be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus as we walk in you and walk in your spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Give him victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Chad, man, thank you for calling. Brave call. Appreciate it. Let's go to Virginia and talk to Bill. Bill, welcome. Hi. Uh, This started with the Addisons, and I've worn my finger to the bone, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, the Museum of the Bible, because I'm closer to Washington (laughs) to to, uh, Noah's Ark. Well, brother, I would go to the Museum of the Bible in a minute. Alex, we've been there. And Yeah, uh, we had the privilege of broadcasting from there, didn't we? We did. It's a beautiful place, and it encourages you. Uh, it's a history lesson, and uh, but it's a history lesson with uh, more than just information. Uh, I, I think it gives inspiration and, and they've got things there for children, so don't be afraid to take your young children, your teenagers, uh, your grandchildren. Uh, they've got a, a place there that you can fly. That's, this is one of my favorites, Alex, and so it's going to work out that way. I could not do it because I get motion sickness, but my wife and grandson, Jude, they went over it several times. You go into a room, and they take you in a flight over Washington, D.C., and show you the Word of God uh, engraved in the monuments all over Washington, D.C. It is a great visit, wouldn't you say? Oh, my goodness, yes. And, folks, uh, the Museum of the Bible, you've heard of William Tyndale, who worked so hard to translate the New Testament from Greek to English. Well, there are Tyndale's writings, not copies, I mean the real things. You have the Bible in English, thanks to Tyndale and others, 
and his personal effects are there, and things that Martin Luther wrote. You know, Martin Luther that started the Protestant Reformation, and he wrote amazing hymns like A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Well, Luther's works are there. And Bert, I've told this story many times. I'll be very brief, but I took Dr. Norman Geisler, great apologist. He's in heaven now. And uh, let me tell you, Dr. Geisler had, you know, been a scholar for years. Well, at the Museum of the Bible uh, is the as far unless they found something new, but there's a portion of the book of Genesis that is the oldest known portion of the book of Genesis in the world, and maybe the oldest piece of scripture. Dr. Geisler's knees buckled a little bit. Here's a man who's seen it all, and when he saw this piece of the book of Genesis, the oldest known portion of scripture that's ever been found, I mean, he kind of swooned. And so that what I'm saying is the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., it is everything you hope it'll be and 10 times more. We love it. Of course, I love the Creation Museum and the Ark down in uh, outside of Cincinnati, our friend Ken Ham. Um, and I'm saying to everybody, listen, we're so blessed in our nation to have great monuments and great things like this to see. And so avail yourself to this, folks. You will not be disappointed. Let me just encourage you to visit those places. If you get close, we'll add one more to that, and that's the Billy Graham Museum there uh, in, in uh, uh, you know, in Alex's home amen, state amen. in Charlotte. It will bless you. <laughs> yes. Even at the Cove, if you go by the clo- Cove and, and visit the Cove down in the basement, the lower floor, it's like walking through a museum as well. So why are these things important? It tells you about the heritage of these men and and others, but it tells you about the heritage of the Bible, but it tells you about the heritage of this country, that God used some men, uh, that we established this country and the freedom that we have, and just based upon on the yeah. Ten Commandments. Alex, what a time it is. So we praise the Lord for that. We're going to take calls in the next segment. So we're ready to go. Thank you for calling. They should face some sort of consequences. At the very least, what you put on there should be true. And if it's not true, then it should be actionable. Major social media outlets are finding ways to block the conservative evangelical viewpoint. The American Family Association will no longer be canceled. Announcing AFA Streaming, our own video streaming platform, which will allow access to all AFA video content. AFA Streaming is now available. Learn more at AFA.net. One of the most controversial topics in Christianity today is homosexuality. The Bible is clear about it, but the world has been relentless in its attempts to shift our views, and that's caused confusion and increased pressure to bow to the culture. In his Engage Magazine article, Homosexuality Comes to the Church, Standing Firm in a Culture that Embraces Chaos, M.D. Perkins gives scripture to dispel the lies of the world. Sign up for your complimentary copy today at EngageMagazine.net. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to the World Health Organization, abortion was the leading cause of death worldwide in 2018. As of December 31st, 2018, 41.9 million babies were murdered in the womb. 
That's more than the 8.2 million people who died from cancer, more than the 5 million who died from smoking, and more than the 1.7 million who died from HIV-AIDS in 2018 globally combined. Thomas Jefferson once said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. Lord, please strengthen us to abolish this wickedness. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 18, we read, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. A hospice nurse observed that many dying people have this one regret in common. They'll say, I wish I'd let myself be happier. Well, it's wonderful to be happy, but you know something? There's something much better than happiness. Happiness depends on your circumstances. But God has something much better for you than happiness, and that's joy. Real joy doesn't change with your circumstances because the wellspring of joy is Jesus. Joy is found by delighting yourself in Him and living to please Him. Hard circumstances can't change real joy because they can't change Jesus. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word, and it is Fire Away Friday, where we take your calls, and we're going to go straight to these calls, get as many as we can today, and we're going to go to Texas, and is it Sass? Sass, are you there? Uh, yes. You're on. Go ahead. I have a question, like, you know, is the uh, Bible anywhere mentioned about date- dating is wrong? Okay, is the Bible, does it say anywhere about dating being wrong? Let me just say this, Sass. Uh, I don't mean to be any way uh, sarcastic or anything toward, I guess it's what you would consider dating to be. Uh, courtship, which is also dating, uh, you find that in the Bible. Boaz and Ruth, I, listen, Alex, uh, that looked like a courtship to me. Uh, they, you know, I look around, it's two or three of our examples in the Bible, at least of courtship, but Western civilization dating the, what it was and what it's become, uh, could be a dangerous thing, but the Bible doesn't say anything. Don't do it. But I would say it gives a lot of limitations to what a date would be. How about, would you say that? Yeah, and, you know, I really appreciate this question. To my recollection, I'm not sure we've ever had this question before. Bert, I'm going to give you a scripture, and I know you'll know this verse, and this is going to tell about courtship and maybe consideration of marriage. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? So here's the thing, you know, in any relationship— whether it's a friend or neighbor, employer, we're to be godly and Christ-like. Certainly if we are um, courting someone, considering marriage, a, a man 
who's attracted to a woman or a woman who's thinking about a relationship with a man. Um, in, in the friendship, in the courtship, we are to be godly. We're to be righteous. We're not to uh, let uh, our relationships be shaped by the world and their standards, but by God and his word. And so let me say this, because I know, Bert, we have a lot of young people in there thinking about a spouse or falling in love. Um, if a Christian marries a non-Christian, uh, there's potential for a lot of struggle, isn't there, Bert? And and I know there are stories where uh, a believer married a non-believer, and eventually the non-believer got saved, and we thank God for that. But it's it's risky, isn't it? It is. And, and and there's the Bible does not promote missionary dating. I can tell you that for sure. It yeah. it really says don't do that. Be not unequally yoked together. And so and I would say this in the Bible, we go back to the Middle East during the Bible times. Uh, quote arranged marriages, but there was an out. Uh, there had to be a, even if the parents did have some of those, there was an out. Uh, by by the the people that were involved, it wasn't like a force thing. It wasn't like uh, uh, without any say so. It was affirmed. And uh, so, listen, if you're dating someone and it goes further than just a casual relationship, and I don't mean in a physical, I'm talking about conversational. Uh, you need to get input from others. What does what does others say about that? That doesn't mean. Uh, that you listen to everything, but it means you take it into consideration. So be careful on that dating or that courtship. Matt, I agree with you, Alex. I don't think we've had that question, but it's a great question. We hope mm -hmm. we've uh, prayed that we've done it right and did justice with it. Let's go to Arkansas and talk to Brian. Brian, welcome. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, you're on, brother. Go right ahead. Wow. Hey. First of all, it is such an honor to speak to men who serve God's kingdom so diligently. Thank you for your service to God's kingdom. Bless you, Thank brother. you, Brian. A friend, of mine who truly, a friend of mine who truly believes uh, that Jesus was not both God and man during his life and ministry on earth. close friend of mine, he believes that he was God prior to becoming manifest in the flesh, and he uses John 1 to try to say that. And he says that he was God after rising from the grave. And a few verses he uses to defend his position are Philippians 2, 6 through 7. Uh, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, becoming born in the likeness of men. He also uses Hebrews two seventeen. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God. He defends the position that all of the miracles... Jesus performed were a result of being filled fully with the Holy Spirit, not a result of his own deity in the flesh. I walked through some scriptures that seemed to clearly show Jesus was both God and man through verses such as Colossians 1:19, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2:9 says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The Bible seems to clearly make the case Yet my friend who studies the same Bible has come to a different conclusion. This leads me to the two questions that I have for you. How would you make this point more clearly to my friend? And the second question is, while I know there's a lot of points that I can differ with on other believers and Christians and we'll still be in the same heaven together, is this viewpoint necessary for salvation? In other words, has he walked 
too close to that line and flirted with that line and crossed it? And where could I find evidence that this viewpoint is necessary for salvation? Thank you. Amen. Mm. Brian, thank you. Alex, when we hear a question like that and we hear Brian, the research he's done already with the yeah. scriptures, uh, we lot we could add some, but Brian's already done the research. Can we help him a little bit? I got one or two things in mind, but you go first on this one. Uh, well, Brian, first of all, may, may I commend you for an exceptionally well-structured question, and I, I can tell you've put some thought in it already, so I, I, I recognize uh, you've given some thought and time to this, and I applaud the way you've structured your question. Um, one verse, let me just say this, in John twenty twenty eight, Thomas met Jesus and said, my Lord and my God. So, I mean, clearly the disciples acknowledged that, that, you know, and as Peter had said, thou art the Christ, in other words, the anointed one. And that was a title that was only reserved for the God-man, the Messiah. But regarding the Philippians 2, and Bert, you tell me if this illustration is inadequate. But, you know, um, though in the form of God, that really means the nature of God, Jesus did not feel equality with God, something to be grasped. Um, 20-some years ago, probably 25 years ago, my little nephew Benjamin, there was a basketball clinic here in North Carolina, and of all things, guess who came? Michael Jordan. And there was, it was on the news, Michael Jordan of the Chicago Bulls was out there playing basketball with these eight, nine, ten-year-old boys, and it was precious. It was a basketball clinic, and I, my little nephew Benjamin, I mean, that was the highlight of his decade. At no time did Michael Jordan cease to be the NBA star that we all know, but he voluntarily um, played at such a level that those little boys could play basketball with him. Now, he was still Michael Jordan, but he voluntarily played at a level they could relate to. Jesus never ceased to be God, but he came in such a way that we could experience him, understand him, fully God, fully man, but not fallen man. I'll grant that it's more than we can get our mind around, but Bert, that is what he claimed of himself. Mark chapter 2, he uh, said that he could forgive sin. They said, well, who can forgive sin but God alone? And Jesus says, well, you, now you see that I have power on earth to forgive sin. They worshiped God, and he didn't rebuke them. I mean, they worshiped Jesus, and he didn't say otherwise. So Bert, he, he claimed to be God, and the fact that he was in, in human form for 33 years didn't mean that he had ever at any moment ceased to be God. Would you agree? I agree fully. That's, that's a good illustration. It comes short of how great it was, but it still is a demonstration. The other thing that I'd say, Brian, is the transfiguration. The transfig Matthew 17. Yes. If that does not reveal who he is as God, the flesh was pulled apart and the Shekinah glory of God not, not of man, but the Shekinah glory of God came forth where they could not even look, and they bowed their head, and they looked up again, and Elijah was gone. Moses was gone. Only Jesus, only God was there. 
And I would say the tr- transfiguration distrim- uh, helps to uh, elevate that and to know that. I'd say also, Rome, you've already talked about John 1, but it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld what? His glory. That was the glory that was in him and uh, while he was upon earth, not before, not after, but all during it, before, now, and after. So, uh, Brian, I hope that helps, brother. We gave it as good a shot. You've done your homework, and uh, can he be saved and have that doctrine? Uh, uh, People have bad doctrines all the time, uh, but you know, if they denied he was God, I, I'd say no way. Uh, but yeah. his manhood, I think he needs more clarity and pray that he's saved. Alex, yeah. would you add to that real quickly? Well, I, you know, I, I've got to believe that Augustine, Aquinas, Martin Luther, C.S. Lewis, and Billy Graham, uh, they all <laughs> believe that Jesus was fully God forever. And I, I've got to believe those, those guys probably um, were— had a, maybe a better handle on the scriptures than any of us. Amen. Great list. Hey, Brian, thank you, man. And appreciate you, you, your question and, and, and also your relationship with your friend. Let's Amen. go to Virginia and talk to James. James, welcome. Hello, Jim. How are y'all? Doing well today. Good. How about you? Doing great, sir. Good. Quick question. First Corinthians uh, chapter seven verses ten through sixteen. Uh, <clears throat> I'm struggling with my marriage. My wife walked off and basically abandoned me about six months ago, and um, I went to her and uh, and, forget, and told her I forgive her anything she'd done, and, and my arms was wide open to her. But uh, I don't. Uh, I'm praying that she'll come home. But uh, you know, I'm taking my Matthew, uh, Jesus said that let no man put asunder. So I'm wondering if. Uh, you know, that dealing with marriage, if, if something don't uh, change, my prayers don't get answered, and we might to keep suffering through this for uh, an unspecified wow. length of time. Well, James, we hurt with you. Uh, Alex and I, uh, we've pastored and ministered to people and have been able to deal with people who were in your shoes, walk away wives and, and leaving. Let me just share this, and this is practical. Alex, you nets are a different way, a different approach. Give God time to work in our life. Do not get in a hurry. Uh, don't use the excuse. Well, I'll, I'll wait six months. I'll wait. Uh, be careful putting a time limit on God to change her. And let me just suggest read the book of Hosea. We've gone through that just a little bit, the first few chapters. And we find a man who was who waited and waited, and his wife did come back. And read the book of Hosea. I think it might give you hope. Alex, go ahead. Well, you know, 1 Corinthians 7.15 says, if, an un- if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. I know in many states— you know, abandonment uh, oftentimes is measured in terms of one year, not living together as man and wife under the same roof. Um, brother, you're going to let have to let the Holy Spirit lead you. Dr. Dobson, for whom I worked, if ever there was a champion for marriage, it was Dr. Dobson. But even he would say, not not only adultery but abandonment dissolves the marriage 
bounds. Um, I, I don't think we should look for divorce and say, oh boy, I've got an out here, not view it that way, but um, pray, be patient, but if if the spouse has abandoned the other, um, I, I really think in a biblical sense that that person is free, Bert. Well, I agree. I agree with that. And again, the ones that I've talked to and when I counsel, don't get in a hurry. Uh, don't give up too quick. And that's what I'd say. And But there, I agree with you fully if that has happened. Let's try to get one more call in. It's going to be quick. And uh, it's, yeah, Luke from Texas. We don't have a lot of time. What's your question real quick, Luke? Good afternoon. Uh, my question comes out of Jude, uh, the 14th. 15th, 16th verse, in which Enoch is mentioned. Uh, now, uh, my uh, real question is the non-canonized books uh, that have been written, is there a way of saying which ones may or may not be the Scripture that all is good for instruction? Okay, I'm going to make a broad statement and let Alex give you a little bit of the history. You don't have a lot of time. But if we trust God to have given us the inspiration, the verbal inspiration of Scripture, why would he not, which he did through men, why would he not lead men also to put those books in the Bible we have today and trust him? Alex, take it away. Well, you know, um, Enoch had a message from God—I'm sorry, Jude had a message from God, and he quotes this book of Enoch that at the time of Jude would have probably been— nearing 200 years old. Um, let me say the book of Enoch uh, was not Scripture, but Jude quoted it just like Paul in uh, Acts 17 quotes a Greek poet. And so um, while the book of Enoch was not Scripture like the, the Bible that we have, God did allow a quotation from that to be included in Scripture. And in that sense, it's, you know, like so much of history that's in the Old Testament, it's in Scripture and is therefore ordained by God to be in there. But um, I don't think we need to go looking for the book of Enoch as another part of God's Word. Fully agree, fully, and we hope that answers your question, Luke. Man, it's been a great day today, Alex. we got time, got to go, but I appreciate it. We'll be back Monday with more of Exploring the Word. Tell someone about it, or more importantly, Tell them about Jesus and let him reign in your life.